You're listening to How She Creates. I'm your host, Lauren Hooper. This podcast is for the curious, the wanderer and the wanderers, the playful and the joyful. Every week, we're going to explore how to design a life full of creativity and whimsy. Now let's get curious and go explore something. This episode of How She Creates is sponsored by Studio. Studio creates headphones that are both high-tech and fashionable for creatives who are on the go like you and me. Studio is emphasizing modern Scandinavian design with their products, but also providing quality that matches even the highest rated headphones on the market for just a fraction of the cost. And they are offering our How She Creates listeners a 15% discount when you use the code HSC15 to grab your new favorite pair of wireless headphones. Hey friends, welcome back to this incredible episode of How She Creates. I cannot be I cannot tell you how glad I am to be back sharing interviews with you guys. This is my favorite part of of my job is getting to talk to amazing creative people. And today's interview is really, really fun. I got to interview Erin of Cotton and Flax, and she has been one of my style creative idols for so, so long. And I have to apologize to you guys and to her. I have been sitting on this episode for a really, really long time. Um, We recorded this last summer, um, and I had all the best intentions of sharing it with you guys right away. Um, But, you know, life happens, and so I am sharing it now, and it is still full of so much wisdom, and she's sharing so many great ideas and ways that she um, nurtures her creativity in this episode and shares about her pattern making. And so we talk in this episode a lot about her new fabric line that that has already come out. Um, It wasn't out when we talked about it, but it's out now. It's with Robert Kaufman, and I have some pieces from it, and it is absolutely gorgeous, you guys. If you like sewing you will love these fabrics Um, and you can even buy them and use have someone else make you something and she's um, has so many great products on her site so you can find her at cottonandflax.com and that's who she is on instagram so i really hope you guys go follow her she's a really good person to follow she's full of inspiration and so all of the links to all of her products and her Instagram and all of those things, of course, are always going to be at lauren-likes.com slash podcast. But now let's dive into Erin's interview so that you can hear her wisdom and get creative with her today. Erin, thank you so much for being here. We are so very, very excited to hear from you. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be joining you today. If you guys don't know who Erin is, you are definitely missing out. She runs Cotton and Flax, which is one of my favorite design source sources of inspiration. Erin's style is absolutely gorgeous, and I cannot wait for you guys to learn more about her creative life today. Thanks so much. <laughs> Erin, will you introduce yourself for us? Absolutely. So my name is Erin Dollar, and my home decor company is called Cotton and Flax. And it sort of is a natural branch from my creative life as a fine art printmaker. So I studied in college, I studied fine art printmaking, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with the crazy, meticulous processes of lithography and the really kind of hands-on messiness of silkscreen printing. And when I graduated, I was selling some of my fine artworks to just help supplement my income and 
kind of have that side hustle situation going on. And I started experimenting with printing on fabric. And it was just something that I immediately was like, whoa, this is really just zeroing in on a part of my creative brain that I had not really been super engaged with up until that point, creating something that was a little more utilitarian, something that was more um, adaptable for products, like the things that I started making right away before I even formed the Cotton and Flax brand. I started making tea towels and pillows, uh, cloth napkins, things for people's homes, even things that were you know adaptable to make quilts or blankets, things like that. Um, and so eventually that project just pulled so much focus for me that I decided I'm going to go ahead and like launch a brand. I'm going to put this together under one umbrella, which I titled Cotton and Flax and kind of open up shop online. This was a heyday of Etsy and <laughs> all of that sort of stuff. I was doing Renegade Craft Fair already to sell my creative work. And um, it was just this project that snowballed and took over my creative life. And now I'm still doing the product line, which has expanded since then. Um, you know, I started the business in 2012. And since then, I've had the opportunity to work with uh, folks like West Elm and CB2 on that really kind of high level of home decor as well as, you know, expanding my own product line, which I sell on my website, cottonflax.com. And recently I've kind of branched into more licensing projects, which is a whole other thing. And I'll be excited to tell you more about that too. Awesome. You are doing so many cool things. I am very jealous and very excited to see some more of your work that you have coming out. Um, Can you back up and tell us a little more about your creative story and just how you got started with creating and how you fell into screen printing and learned more about printing and design? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, So for me, when I started college, I <laughs> I think everybody when they're young kind of has an idea of what their life is going to look like or maybe what their interests were. And mine, you know, I've always been creative, but my thought for myself was not initially fine art. I went to school thinking that I was going to major in environmental studies. And I had this idea that I would, you know, <laughs> live in a redwood tree or something and be fighting for, you know environmental justice. And I really was super passionate about that stuff. But then I started taking classes and I don't know how to explain it. The passion was just not there. And I started taking some fine art courses because I knew I was a creative person and thought, okay, this might kind of jolt me out of this funk that I've gotten into after taking too many sort of statistic classes. And yeah, I just sort of started branching back out into the creative stuff that I, that was comfortable to me. And I realized that that's, that's where my passion is. That's where I get, feel excited and, you know, ambitious and ready to kind of reach for big goals. And so I thought, okay, you know, maybe I'll, I'll still major in environmental studies, I'll minor in fine art. But yeah, I mean, maybe you can guess what happened. It just totally pulled focus for me. I, you know, spent all of my free time exploring different electives in the art field and trying photography and drawing and painting and you know, when I discovered the printmaking studio, it was, it was all over for me. I had found my like one true love and (laughs) there was no parting me from it. It was just something magical. I, you know, I think part of it is the process. It's a really, printmaking is a really unique art form. It really takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of sort of meticulous um, focus and kind of energy to really push a design idea forward, um, especially with what I was focused on at the time, which was lithography, where you're 
drawing onto a piece of stone and then etching the stone with different acids and then going through this complicated process to get it to print on paper using an enormous press. And, you know, I think part of it just felt a little bit like magic. And I thought, okay, I've got to explore this. Um, so, you know, after college and, you know, leaving that environment of being in the studio all the time and um, really being able to focus on my art full time, uh, you know, the reality of when I graduated, I, I graduated in 2008. It was a tough job environment and I really um, had trouble finding full time work in creative industries. I had the idea that maybe I would work in a museum or in a gallery or, um, you know, creative nonprofit of some sort. But all I could find were these sort of part-time jobs that could kind of cobble together a living. And at that point, you know, like I mentioned, it was sort of the beginnings of Etsy and that kind of creative handmade revolution that now feels like it's just everywhere. Um, and I thought, you know, what do I have to lose? I have a lot of these fine art prints just sort of languishing in a portfolio in my closet. And, you know, I have a decent digital camera. I can take some photos and put them on Etsy and see how it goes. And you know, my early success at running that type of creative business really paved the way for me to be able to do what I do now with Hot and Flax. It really gave me the confidence to put my work out there in a, you know, sort of open way and not, not fearful of like, oh, what if people don't like it? It like kind of gave me this confidence of, oh, just like see what happens, put it out there, share it with your, your network, share it with people who um, you think might be interested. And then just see. And I really think that that kind of helped me to kind of get my footing early on so that when it came time to start Cotton and Flax to really form a brand around my products and to kind of get um, a more structured business put together, I really had that ability, that knowledge of kind of what it was going to take. I love that you're sharing kind of the very beginning all the way up to these big product lines because I think that a lot of people who listen and people who are creative and they want to take their work to the next level, they're not quite sure how that falls into place. And so I love to see that that evolution of, you know, just going from like elective classes to full on creative business. Yeah. It's funny because I think something that all creative people struggle with is that sort of imposter syndrome or this sort of, oh, I don't know, like who's going to, I don't have permission to do this. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to try this. And like, I think so much of my business looking in reverse, I'm like, oh, I just kind of kept giving myself permission over and over again to try. And I think that that, like so many folks who I meet are very nervous about taking those initial first steps. But, you know, a lot of the time, the best advice that I have for people who are curious about having a more creative life or starting a creative business is like, what's kind of a low investment way that you can just dip a toe and get started. You don't have to start with like a huge product line of like 15 different things and, you know, have all these different products and go to a trade show and, Oh, I want to collaborate with all these big brands. It's like, just start where you're at. Like, you know, make one thing figure out if you can make multiples of it, if you want to have kind of a, um, a more structured product-based business and then go from there. I really think that getting those early wins, those early successes builds confidence for going down the road and working on larger and larger projects. I hope people are really listening when you are saying to give yourself permission to just try things and not be so worried about that and bigger outcome. You know, you talked about that in your story about how you just took a bunch of art electives and just kind of explored what you liked. 
until you found the thing that you loved. Do you still feel like you explore a lot in your creativity? I really try to. Gosh, it's, <laughs> I think anyone who's running a creative business knows that it's, you know, it may look super fun and glamorous on the outside. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it looks like the hard work that it really is. But sometimes I think there's an idea that, you know, all I'm doing all day is just sort of rearranging pillows on the shelf and maybe drawing or <laughs> painting or doing something in the studio. But the reality is so much of my business looks like a traditional office job. I do a lot of emailing. I do a lot of kind of following up with clients or with people who I potentially want to work with as collaborators. Um, you know, I kind of go back and forth with different contractors who I work with, people who are doing sewing for me, people who are doing graphic design for me, um, you know, coordinating with uh, my landlord to get my studio kind of in better shape and get that ready to open. It's, you know, it's bureaucratic. It's still a lot of <laughs> behind the scenes sort of boring work to get this creative work out into the world. And so... You know, it's funny, I, I've really been trying this year to recenter that creative practice for myself and make time every day, even if it's just to be sketching a little bit or, you know, pulling some colored fabrics that might inspire me for my next collection or, you know, what, whatever that might look like, really making time for that creativity every day. Because when you're running a business full time, it's like, that creativity time just sort of slips away if you're not careful. It's so easy to just prioritize, oh, well, these, these orders have to get out. I you know, need to follow up with so-and-so. I need to you know, make sure I'm pitching for this gift guide that's coming up. And you, know, you get to the end of the week and you're like, oh, I haven't done any design work. What a pity. And that momentum is hard to get back. Yes. I am so happy you are saying that because one, it makes <laughs> me feel so much better about when my weeks go like that. But also, I mean, it's, it's essentially, you know, people who make art, they want to be artists or they, you know, they just make art on the side and they're like, well, if I could be an artist full time, then I would have all of this time to create. But no, I mean, it's the exact same. If you, you know, work a day job, an office job, and then you create at home, it's the same amount of time that you're spending creating and you still have to work to find that creative time and like push yourself to do that even as a full-time artist. Um, so I love that you are confirming that. So what would you say would be your best tips for people, you know, who either are full-time artists or, you know, are working their day job and trying to find that time and push themselves to keep working on creative projects? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've gone through different periods um, where I kind of feel like the folks who, um, who just can't resist this type of work, <laughs> the, the people who I meet who are just like, oh, I don't want to like pathologize it, but just obsessed with the, the making the sort of, oh, I can't resist this type of work. Those are the folks who I see that have, have a lot of longevity in their career who are really kind of driven by that passion. It's almost like a madness. You're like, oh, I just can't keep myself from doing this stuff. You know, if you are struggling with just kind of getting that creative fire lit, keep your day job. Oh my God, there is no shame in that whatsoever. Hang on to that day job until you feel like you can't wait any longer. That's really the reality. And I think you've totally hit on it with what you were saying before is that once you get to this point where you're running a creative business, your day is going to look somewhat similar probably <laughs> to what your job looked like 
you know, before you left your day job, right? You're, you're still going to be emailing. Don't have this illusion that it's just going to be, oh, I'll just, you know, be in my sun dappled studio wearing my apron and someone will come with, come in with <laughs> lattes in the afternoon and I'll take a break or a nap and then I'll just be painting the rest of the hour. It's just, oh gosh, I hope I can just unburden you of that illusion. <laughs> Because we're out here, we're out here working late shifts, we're out here, you know, really pushing to see our dreams realized, but you need that fire, that passion for the creative work to push it all forward. So I think really, oh gosh, it, it always sounds sort of hard to, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I think if you can figure out how you're going to sustain that creative drive while still maintaining the kind of crazy workload and the you know, the bureaucratic nonsense. I feel like if you can figure that out early, you're going to avoid that cycle of burnout, figuring out how to nurture that creativity and um, make time for this, this sort of creative exploration. That's really what helps me day to day and and knowing kind of what your goals are and um, what's driving you forward. I think having that bigger picture or um, almost like a mission can kind of help to, to shape the, the road ahead, if that makes sense. Yeah. Can you walk us through your process? So you've got an idea and then how do you take that and turn it into an actual collection? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So like I mentioned, I'm sort of sketching and drawing and just sort of pulling together design ideas as often as possible. So that for me means, you know, spending time walking around my neighborhood or visiting museums or, you know, when I'm traveling, carrying a sketchbook with me and just sort of putting down to paper ideas that I have just during my daily life. Um, I'm not always, you know, thinking about, oh, this will be great for my next collection. I really just sort of try to take, um, take an approach to living that where my eyes are open, if that makes sense, just really kind of um, taking in what's around me and letting it shape and build my creative kind of mind, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so for me, it's when it's time to kind of think about a new product or a new collection or putting something together for a collaboration, I really return to those sketchbooks and the kind of initial drawings that I made and see if I find a thread or a kind of commonality to different drawings that might build into something bigger. Um, so for example, I am debuting a new fabric collection later this month, and I am super excited about it because it's all kind of drawing upon, um, some sort of inspirations from my exploration of fine art textiles and kind of more traditional forms of weaving. And, um, I took some of those inspirations that I was running across in textile museums and kind of more, um, uh, you know, sculptural textile pieces, and I've reduced them into these really basic two-color prints, and um, that translated into a fabric collection that I'm debuting with Robert Kaufman. And, you know, it's sort of seeing these different days, you know, maybe one day when a friend was showing me how to do um, some sort of special stitching with this incredible thread um, in her studio where she does these beautiful projects with such, I think it's pronounced Sashiko, and I could be butchering it. Oh, Jessica, don't get mad at me. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's that sort of, you know, taking something from that day and another day where I was looking at these beautiful um, wire weavings that my friend's grandmother had made that were just so airy and light, delicate and beautiful and kind of trying to translate that into an ink drawing. And um, these beautiful baskets that I encountered that were woven in Africa by these tribes that have been making them for, you know, probably hundreds of years and 
taking all these sort of disparate moments in my life and my creative explorations and tying them together in one collection. It just has been so satisfying <laughs> to see that come together. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that that will resonate with folks when they get to encounter the fabrics too. Oh, that is so cool. That is one of my favorite things to talk about is how inspiration is actually translated. So I love that you hit on all of those different things and we will have links to those in the show notes. Um, but let's take a second and freak out about Robert <laughs> Kaufman fabric line. Um, I have some of his fabric and I don't want to do anything with it because it's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, no. And I've worked with um, Robert Kaufman before. It's an amazing company. I've really enjoyed all of my time spent with like everybody at every level has just been so supportive to me and um, their design team is incredible. Their marketing team is wonderful. They've just really um, been great with me because I need a little bit more handholding in some of these collaborations. I know a lot of folks who kind of come to the table to do fabric collections are kind of already really embedded in that world. They're um, quilt designers or they um, sew their own clothing or they're kind of more um, tied into that sort of creative craft culture. And I definitely, you know, I'm doing sewing for my home decor line and I understand the kind of pattern drafting process and all that. But, you know, I think I'm kind of a little bit of a weirdo in that world. <laughs> definitely um, kind of coming at it from a different angle. And so I think that's part of why my fabrics maybe look a little bit different than your typical quilting cottons or, um, you know, traditional sort of patterns that you might see on linen. I'm really kind of coming at it from a, a different perspective. And I'm hoping that that will come through in the, in the new collection. My first collection for Robert Kaufman Arroyo was really um, just such a thrill for me because we did 44 different fabrics. And that was just like, oh, oh my gosh, I still have so much fabric in my studio. It's been like impossible to make enough projects to work through it all. Um, and for this collection, the second collection called Balboa, we are doing 33. So it's still a huge outlay of fabrics. And, I, you know, it's fun to see them all stacked together and um, to kind of, you know, at this point before they before it's launched. And, you know, I kind of, you know, not able to really share it publicly as much yet. By the time this podcast comes out, I, I'm sure it will have launched. So I'll be able to talk about it more. But, um, you know, it's that sort of oh, I'm excited and daydreaming about how quilters and other sewists are going to take these fabrics and make them into something that's like totally their own. It's a collaboration on this level that, you know, until I started doing um, fabric heritage, I'd never really experienced. Okay. I think it's so important to like call out that you just said you don't feel like you fit in and you needed a lot of help. Just because there are so many people who want to be creative, want to get involved, want to do things like this, but they don't know how. And so I love that you just like dove in and you were not ashamed to be like, I need help. I don't know how to do this. And you have still come out with this amazing opportunities, 33 fabrics. Like that is incredible. <laughs> I am so proud of that. And I keep like preaching that to people like it's okay if you don't know how to do it like you just have to ask and I love seeing what's coming out of of those situations it's funny because I feel like part of what um ends up working in my favor is maybe that I'm a little bit shameless about just sort of being like oh um could you explain that to me in a different way because I don't really understand what you're saying or oh could you maybe elaborate on that a little bit more because um I come at it from this perspective and you know 
I am definitely <laughs> not embarrassed to ask dumb questions. Um, and, you know, honestly, I think this is the reality of running a creative business and being so, so self-taught in so many ways is that there's tons of stuff that I just don't know about that I'm ignorant about. And I, it's my job to figure that stuff out and to learn and to, um, you know, when I'm doing a collaboration on this level to really um, be a good communicator with the folks at Robert Kaufman and say, here's where my skill set is. I can bring to the table beautiful patterns, my eye for design, you know, my you know, fans and followers who are excited about this stuff. But what I, what I need from you guys is I need help understanding how to market it, kind of what's going to work best for the quilting world, which I don't know as much about. How can I connect with these um, fabric stores and be helpful and useful to them and help promote the collection? And I'm going to really need guidance on that level. And, you know, they want the collection to succeed. This is the best thing about collaborations, right? Where you're able to kind of, you know, two heads are better than one, you know, Robert Kaufman's a team of much more than two people, but like, you know, having multiple people kind of focused on making something successful just brings so much good energy and lots of different ideas and um, all that good stuff to the table so that I'm not kind of scrambling to put it all together on my own. We all want to see it be successful. Um, and so it's a great way to kind of lean on each other and each other's expertise and sort of see, okay, how can we make this work? Yes. No matter what field you are in or what the situation is, asking questions is always so important because it shows that you're thinking deeply about the subject and that you want to learn and that you want to collaborate. And, you know, I was telling you that we just filmed with Creative Bug this past summer and yeah, collaborating is absolutely always where I feel like the magic happens. And it's just always so much better when it's not just me and my ideas and me trying to figure it out. Um, everything is just so much better when we work with other people. So I hope people listening are getting excited to, to ask questions and to reach out to other people and to collaborate on their work because in people, it's so flattering when people ask you questions. You, I, I think so. Um, and so I really hope that that's encouraging people to reach out more and ask more of how they can learn and grow for sure in their creativity, whatever their art form is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that sort of exploration and curiosity is so much of what's driven me forward in my business. Oh, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break and talk about our sponsors, Studio. You guys know how much I love my headphones th from them. I have three pairs, and my latest pair that I have gotten are the Tolves. They are the tiny little ear pods, and they're so cute and so nice. I can be untethered from my phone or my computer, so I can walk around while I am exploring or creating or working out or whatever it is that I'm doing while I'm listening to my favorite podcast or music. And Studio is offering you guys a discount on your own headphones when you use the code HSC15. HSC15 is your code to get 15% off so that you can grab your own headphones to aid you in your creative explorations. Grab your own pair at studio.com. Okay, so tell me what your favorite thing to make is. Are you just like making patterns and then whatever they get made into is fine? Like what's your kind of sweet spot, the thing that you love creating? 
Yeah, I mean, patterns are it for me right now. I'm so focused on um, looking for collaborations where I can take my pattern designs and see them um, kind of take on new life as different types of products or different types of installations or what have you. It's really, um, that's really where my creative energy is these days, is just figuring out how to create these patterns that really entice or really draw you in or kind of... um, feel playful or fun or really kind of um, bring some new energy. Uh, And I think that that's really kind of, (laughs) I'm going to like lean into that for a bit. I think there's definitely um, still a lot of interest for me in creating home decor products and seeing those being used in people's homes is so inspiring to me. I love seeing how folks are taking my pillows or um, tabletop goods and integrating those into their daily lives. And and thinking about sustainability on that level too. How can I empower people through making things that are going to last for a long time and stay stylish and stay beautiful for that whole um, lifespan? Um, so that's a, a still a really interesting challenge to me. But creatively, I feel like the patterns are just calling to me. It's like anytime I have I have a moment to sit down with my with my sketchbooks, I'm just like, let me just do a little doodle that I could turn into a, a pattern motif and see it in repeat, and then maybe think about what come next that's just like where the creative fire is for me right now but it changes over time and I'm sure this is true for you as well where it's like you kind of just follow that that interest or follow that lead until you're kind of oh and here's another thing that's really pulling my focus and maybe I'll experiment and practice with this for a while and yeah it's really um just following that creativity that interest and what medium is your favorite to create your patterns with I still tend to draw a lot with pen and ink um, or brush and ink. I use this really rich, beautiful Sumi ink that is just, oh, it's just magic. I love drawing with it because it's like super opaque and it gets all of the detail of my brush strokes. Just, oh, I feel like it's just magic. (laughs) And there's something about the kind of messiness and imperfection of drawing with this really rich, thick ink on, you know, heavy cardstock or paper that... I just have not been able to replicate using a computer. I'm sure that there are artists out there who are like, come on, like this is the brushstroke I could use and this is my iPad and I'll show you how it's done. But like for me, nothing will match it. There's something about the like randomness and the kind of chance drop of ink that's going to fall on the paper and make a cool shape. And then I, you know, keep going from there. There's just something about that hands-on process that's still really captivating me. Um, but other than that, I'm like, I'm thinking about what other tools or materials have I been playing around with in the studio? It's um, a good question. Do you do your printing yourself? Do you screen print? How does that work? Yeah. So every um, product for cotton flax is screen printed. And up until very recently, I was doing that all myself, which is a lot for anyone who's ever done screen printing. It is labor intensive. So um, to be able to take these drawings that I'm making and make multiples of them, uh, you get a screen burned that's essentially works um, kind of similar to a stencil. It's suspended onto a screen and then you push ink through the screen to create the pattern onto a piece of paper or fabric or whatever you'd like. And I have been doing that from my studio here in San Diego for, um, well, since I moved and in LA, I was doing the printing before that as well. And, you know, recently, to be quite honest, my body was just giving me some trouble. It was my back was acting up and I was really having trouble sticking to production timelines. 
without my back really hurting. And it kind of triggered this big change in my business thinking about, okay, you know, I've been doing, been doing production a very specific way. I have some sewing helpers in LA that help me with large orders, kind of sewing together the different pillows and tea towels so that I can print on them. And I figured out how to delegate some of this work, but now I'm getting to a point, a stage in my business where I'm busy and this may, you know, doing the printing myself may not be the best use of my energy anymore. Even though I love it, even though I'm still so, so tied to that process and I love the way that silkscreen fabric looks, I'll never, well, God, I guess I should never say never, but I don't anticipate ever switching to digital printing because I just think there's something really magical and special about that opaque, beautiful ink, the crispness on the fabric when it's printed by hand. It's just, yeah, I'm dedicated to that process. But, you know, when your body is telling you, stop, stop doing this. I'm hurting. I need to lay down. I need to rest. I need to recuperate. Like it's my duty to listen to that because for, for me, it's all about longevity and sustainability in my business in the long term. And if I burn out and I have a messed up back and I can't get people's orders shipped on time and I can't release new products, that's not sustainable. And so for me, it meant finding a partner here locally, my friend Gina, actually. Hey, Gina, if you're listening. Um, She has been able to help me to stay on target with printing and to take some of that off my plate so that the products are staying at the same quality, but I'm able to free up some of my time for rest and taking better care of my health and focusing on new collaborations while she's taking care of some of the more labor intensive stuff. So yeah, it's tough. It's, you know, one of those things that I wasn't really anticipating having to change, but you know, I guess that's part of being flexible in your business is thinking about, okay, what are my options and what's going to look best for long-term success? Okay. I don't think I realized that you were hand printing all of your stuff you create a lot that is impressive (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so just to be clear the fabric um that i do with robert kaufman is all manufactured by them so they take care of the printing for the fabric line um but for the home decor products that i sell for cotton and flax yeah up until last year i was printing every single piece myself which was a lot you're right it was a lot and maybe too much and i think that one of the things that i um yeah, one of the things maybe that I learned about myself last year is how stubborn I am <laughs> and how that is not necessarily letting me make the best decisions for the business side of what I'm doing. It was definitely keeping me in control, but is that the most important thing? I'm not sure. Oh, gosh. I can't even like talk about the control issue. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I'm alone. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I have no advice on that. Um, but from the creative side, I mean, that's, that's the fun part. That's why we do this. So how are you kind of filling that void if you're, you've, you've kind of outsourced that bit of it? Yeah. So for me, it's all about returning to the design process. So creating more pattern designs and honestly, um, having that time freedom that I would have spent printing and, and to be quite frank, feeling better because my back isn't hurting anymore. Um, has allowed me to have the energy to create more pattern collections, to do more of the artwork and the design process that I love. And that has really come in and filled the gap for me because printmaking is creative and it is really fun, but the kind of labor side of that was really pulling some of the joy away from that for me. So 
it's really meant a return to kind of thinking about fresh designs, looking at new partnerships, new collaborations that I can tackle, learning some new craft skills, collaborating with more <laughs> sewing folks and um, people that have totally different skill sets than me. And yeah, I think it's really just open up time and space in my creative life in a really positive way overall. But yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I kind of, I do have moments where I mourn the loss of my printing studio. I loved having all of my printing stuff surrounding me as I was working. And um, my studio today looks really different and that's, you know, for better and for worse. So I've had to kind of make my peace with that. And it's possible that down the road, there'll be opportunities for me to kind of pick that up again. But for now, it's definitely the best for my health. Wow. Yeah. That takes a lot of bravery to, to give up that big creative job for yourself. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you to give us some tips. So I know that screen printing is difficult to give tips on a podcast, <laughs> but you have a class that we can go look at if we want to learn more about screen printing. Will you tell us a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. Um, that was something that I taught at Creative Live. I taught a just basic intro to screen printing class. Um, gosh, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, maybe two or three years ago. Oh my gosh. Jeez, time flies. Um, yeah. So Creative Live invited me up to their San Francisco studio to teach their uh, audience about screen printing and just give them kind of basics of how to get started at home. You don't need a really expensive setup. You don't need a fancy dark room. You don't need, you know, this is stuff you can do at your kitchen table. It's really, really easy to get started on a budget and, you know, start producing your designs on mass. You can make stationery, you can be printing on t-shirts, you can be printing on home decor products like I do. Um, the, the opportunities there are really limitless. It's just your imagination. So um, that was something that I taught for them. And it's super affordable. It's online. You can stream it basically anytime you want. You don't have to like sit down and watch the whole thing. And you, know, you can return to it if you're, oh, I just want to kind of remember how to do this part of it. And I really love that because the hardest part is of teaching. I teach workshops in my studio all the time, but the hardest part of teaching is that there's so many people who can't travel to San Diego to come and attend my workshops. So it's really great to be able to reach people all over the world, to be able to share my love of printmaking and let them dip a toe in something that I'm still so passionate about, you know, and to see where they're going to take it. Because I think that's the great thing about that art form is that, you know, people can create designs that look so different, all streaming from the same materials and methods. It's it's really incredible and inspirational for me to see too. Awesome. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, but what tips would you give to people who are getting started making patterns? How, how do you start? What are your ooh, tips ooh. for making them beautiful? And what is the word um, where they like flow across, they like never end? Oh, like a pattern that's been turned into a repeat Yes, a repeat pattern. pattern. Yeah, sure. Um, so getting started, I feel like if you're already drawing or painting, um, you can take motifs from your existing artworks and use either Photoshop or there's you know really simple tutorials online about how to do this stuff, even just by cutting and um, kind of layering different papers to get your patterns into repeat. Um, if you have a scanner, a computer, and you know just a piece of paper, you could be creating your own and it's really for me it's super calming and like kind of taps into this 
meditative part of my brain, trying to kind of figure out the puzzle of how to get all the different sort of shapes to align and um, get into this pattern that will flow and be kind of um, balanced and even. I think it's, you know, it's a skill set where there are a lot of resources out there. And, um, you know, I could definitely send you um, some like links to books that I've enjoyed or um, online tutorials for folks to kind of dip a toe in that. Um, but I say just like have fun with it. And part of what's great is like, if you look closely at Cotton and Flax products, they're not all in perfect repeat. That's part of what makes them fun and charming is that they're a little bit wonky. They have that handmade feel. They have that sort of like imperfect quality to the line work. And it looks like, oh, I'm seeing the same pattern over and over again, but you kind of start to look closer and you're thinking, oh, oh no, these are all sort of different motifs. And they're kind of, they have this flow to them that you wouldn't necessarily get if you just did the same single pattern over and over and over again. So I think just experimenting, don't worry about perfection. Don't worry about it being, um, you know, like an absolute perfect grid, you know, just play with it until it's something that your eye really responds to that. That's how I would recommend getting started. And, but what do you think makes a good pattern? What are some elements that you feel like you always have to have? Ooh, okay. So obviously, you know, you're thinking about things like line and color and balance and shape. But for me, I think simplicity is what I'm drawn to. That's why all of my, you know, design work is two color. I, I really kind of try to, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of the quote. There's this wonderful quote that I think is attributed to Coco Chanel that's sort of like add and add and add beautiful elements and then start subtracting kind of pull back until you have just the bare minimum. And that's, that's it. That's perfection. And I just, I totally agree with that. Like, it's sort of nice to kind of throw a bunch of things in, sort of mix it around and see kind of what you're drawn to and then subtract, pull back, pull some things out of the mix until you have something that's like a little bit, maybe more on the minimal side. I think there's such beauty in that of not kind of doing all of the sort of maximalist, let's get every color and every design and every, you know, and really kind of going overboard like that. I love seeing folks who are kind of trying to stay restrained or um, maybe kind of do a lot with just a little bit. Yes. The art of subtraction. It's definitely like one of the key skills of an artist for sure. I I feel like that's been my MO for the last (laughs) 10 years, basically. How can I do less? (laughs) Uh, So going off of that, your style is, it's one of my all-time favorite styles. Um, Can you describe, if people haven't seen your work, kind of how how would you describe your style? Oh, sure. Yeah, it's it's funny because I do kind of think of it as being minimalist. I don't know if everyone would agree with that. Um, But I really, I think my designs are unified by this attention to detail, the sort of really... um, fluid or kind of uh, unique line quality that I am able to capture because every piece is created by hand when it first starts. It's a sumi ink drawing with a you know brush or a pen. And that means that my lines aren't perfectly straight. It doesn't look like it's been rendered on a computer. It looks like it's made by hand. And I think that that's part of the charm of the work that I do is it looks handmade. Um, and so I think for me, it's about 
resisting that urge, uh, kind of like I was saying again, to kind of edit it down to perfection, to leave some of those things that might look like mistakes in, um, because that's kind of what I think people's eyes are drawn to. Ooh, I like this. I like this sort of weird quality. It pulls my eyes in in an interesting way. So yeah, I think my, my style is really minimalist. It's modern. It's, um, you know, fresh. I try to choose colors that are really um, kind of sophisticated and not um, super trendy necessarily. Um, I think that for me, it's all about quality. Um, that's really my focus when I'm thinking about creating work for cotton and flax is thinking about what is going to be um, stylish for the longest period of time. And that means I return to really classic color combos. I use a lot of um, beautiful flax linen or um, sort of blue chambray colors in my work. I use a lot of, um, I only print in black and white ink, which I think helps to unify my designs even more because that's sort of, oh yeah, I kind of recognize that from afar. That looks like a cotton flax design because of that consistency with the printing, with the black and white pattern design. Oh, absolutely. I can spot your work from afar for sure. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> but so how did you get there? How did you get to to this very specific style? Um, you know, I think pattern has always been part of my work. It was definitely part of my fine artwork when I was in college and beyond. Um, when I was working in the cooperative print studio that I was a member of when I moved back to Portland after finishing school, um, I was really experimenting with using pattern in my landscape drawings. I was doing a lot of these really layered, dense, super, super um, detailed drawings of sort of underground scenes um, where you would see all the different layers of the, the ground underneath the surface and um, using all these different patterns to kind of represent different um, spaces and shapes. And Yeah, I think pattern was part of my work really from the very beginning and in creating a product line, it's really just kind of um, been simplified, been kind of brought down to its most basic elements and um, kind of playing a little bit with classic motifs. One of the designs that I did for my second collection for Robert Kaufman, uh, the fabric line that's coming out soon, is a sort of modified grid pattern. And it's, you know, it's very similar to just a normal checked grid, but it's kind of stretched and the lines are a little wavy and wonky. And, um, you know, I really like taking kind of a classic look and just kind of making it a little bit weird or a little bit imperfect or, um, you know, even, even just trying to execute a classic motif, like a, a chevron pattern, but, you know, in my hand, it ends up looking really different because I'm not a computer. I can't make every line perfectly line up unless I'm using maybe a ruler and I can try it a thousand times. Right. So, you know, I think for me, um, it's just kind of trying not to resist the urge to, um, to go for the perfect, perfect line or the perfect drawing and really embracing those imperfections. That is such a mantra that I think we should all chant over and over. <laughs> and, and I just, I, I love it. And I love how you've embraced it because like, like I've said it and you've brought up your work is simple, but detailed and beautiful. And it's, it's the imperfections that make it so 
Lovely. So I hope people are taking so much inspiration and permission from that to be able to embrace those imperfections in their artwork and to keep, keep going. And I love to hear your transition. I didn't realize you're painting landscapes. That is so different from what you're doing now. And it just shows that huge arch of, you know, work that you have to go through to, to find your style and find what you love and, and who you are. And, you know, maybe in, if we chat again in five years, you'll be doing landscapes again or something completely different. (laughs) It's definitely possible. That's the thing is there's just, um, when you take this approach to, to your art career, it's like, if something like that starts to speak to me again, you better believe I'm going to chase after that, chase after that joy and look and, you know, see what it is that I'm being pulled to do and try and listen to that as best I can. So speaking of, how do you live a creative lifestyle? What does that mean to you? Oh, this is such a loaded question. <laughs> because, right, I think it means something to different, it means different things to different people. Um, for me, it means having faith in my abilities as a creative person, um, trying as best I can not to doubt that this is um, the path for me. I think that what what can happen, I think, when you're in a creative career is you you get into the kind of naturally, everybody does this, no matter what career they're in, the kind of comparison game. You look and see, oh, I'm seeing um, this person having success over here. And, oh, gosh, I wish I could have that type of success for myself. Or, oh, God, did you see her paintings? They're so beautiful. Oh, I wonder if my work will ever get to that level. You know, and I think that's a really natural thing that happens to all of us. But what I've been really trying to do lately is to just put my blinders on, focus on my own work and how I can make it better and how I can grow as an artist and um, who I might be able to work with to kind of help push me into those um, new and exciting places and to challenge myself to not be drawn into that comparison game as often as maybe I have been in the past. I think some of what happens is that I need to take time away from social media. That to me has been something that has been both a blessing and a curse um, in my creative career. It's been wonderful because it's connected me with so many creative people and really um, made so much of my creative career possible. Um, But at the same time, it is fueling some of that comparison and kind of unhealthy focus on um, what I don't have or what I don't have yet. These are things that maybe um, will happen for me down the road, uh, collaborations that I'm aiming for or projects that I'd like to t- uh, attempt or you know, whatever that might look like. But being plugged into social media too much to kind of feeds that hunger, that want in a way that I didn't feel was super helpful or conducive to my own creativity. Um, and so as I'm taking time away from social media or trying to integrate more um, Hmm. I don't want to call it unhealthy totally. So I'm trying, I'm struggling for the right word, but I'm trying to integrate more um, balance. So for me, that means maybe staying on social media, not always sharing every detail of what I'm up to, but making time to go to museums, visit other friends in their studios, see what they're working on, have conversations like this with you, Lauren, and like be able to dig into our creativity together and um, really kind of find new ways to be part of the creative community that aren't necessarily going to feed that, <laughs> that self-doubt, if that makes 
success. Yes. No, that is exactly it. You know, because my next question is what is your favorite creative resource? And I want to, that's, these are two questions that I always ask everyone because I want to make sure people realize there is a difference between creative resources like books or podcasts and creative lifestyle, which is where we're getting our inspiration, where we're getting our connection and our joy and we're growing and learning. But like you said, getting out and doing things is a creative lifestyle. You know, sitting at home and reading a a business book or an art book is a creative resource and that's part of your education. And so I love hearing how other artists are filling those creative wells and living that creative lifestyle and staying inspired and staying connected to the world so that they can then translate that into their work. So you sum that up perfectly. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I, I totally understand the difference, but that sort of, you know, thinking about lifestyle as being um, more holistic. Like I think for me and kind of what I was trying to get with and get to with my answer is that you know, by visiting my friends in their studios or seeing what they're working on behind the scenes, it's very different than checking in on what their last five posts on Instagram are, right? Like I, I get to see the kind of what's in their trash bin that maybe they were not so excited to have made. Um, you know, what, what are we going to have for lunch and talk about over, over lunch and kind of think about um, creatively and brainstorm together and troubleshoot together? Like that, that to me is a real creative lifestyle, being connected with the other creative people in my community. Um, so as for resources, okay, so this is, this is such an interesting question because I think um, for me, when I am looking for inspiration or trying to kind of refill that well, um, my go-tos are art school libraries, which um, hopefully you guys live in a city with an amazing art school like I did for a long time um, when I was living in L.A., I would visit the Art Center School of Design. Um, Their library was incredible. Oh my gosh. It was such an incredible resource for me to just show up. You know, maybe, I don't know if it's open to the public technically, but you know, I I felt like, okay, I can kind of blend. I can pretend I'm an art student. I'll just walk in like I know where, where I'm going and it'll be fine. And just browsing the stacks of books in that library gave me hours and hours of entertainment and inspiration. Um, And luckily, now that I'm down in San Diego, I found something similar uh, up in La Jolla, which is just a little bit north of where I'm living. There's this beautiful um, art and music library that I stumbled on the other day that is just an incredible wealth of resources and books. And, um, you know, they have a gallery where there's always new work that's being displayed. And just going out and kind of allowing myself to explore in a way that isn't really driven by a particular need, if that makes sense. Um, I think sometimes people think about research as, oh, I need to like figure out how to draw this flower. So I'm going to Google the flower and look at some photos until I kind of have an idea of how to draw it. Or, oh, I'm going to go to a garden and find that particular flower. You know, and that's great. If you are on a deadline and you've got to draw that flower, you do that. You get in there and you find that flower. But for me, like, The resources really come into play when I'm in that brainstorming mode and I want to discover other designers work that might kind of lead me further down my creative path or stumble upon something maybe I didn't know about already and discover an artist or a a movement in, you know, in art history that I didn't know about. And I think that those discoveries are really hard to stumble on in an organic way if you're only on the Internet. 
if that makes sense. Unless you're really creative with your web surfing. And if you are, reach out to me because I want to learn more about how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do I treat the internet like a library and browse the stats? Um, do you know who does that super well? is Crystal Mm -hmm. Moody. I've had her on the podcast. And if you sign up for her newsletter, she always, uh, she sends once a week a newsletter and at the bottom, it always has links to creative Mm -hmm. resources that she found online. And they're like Mm -hmm. these very intense articles about art and life. And it's, it blows my mind. I always ask her how she finds her articles and she just like reads the internet like a library. It's amazing. I love that. Yeah. So it's definitely possible. Don't let me tell you that my way is the right way. It's just what works for me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I can't do it either. It's fine. (laughs) She's, she's my only link to that. Um, that is blowing my mind because obviously I love the library. Everyone here loves the library. Um, but I've never thought of like breaking into an art school and going to their specific library because it's all going to be art books. That's genius. Yeah, it's an incredible resource. Oh, yeah. All right. So that's everyone's homework. So every week we issue a challenge. Um, so this week, your two challenges are to create a pattern and share it under the How She Creates hashtag and tag me and Erin. Erin, you are at Cotton Fla- and Flax on Instagram? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and then your second challenge is to go to an art school library. That's awesome. And send us a picture so we can see. Um, oh, I love that. I'm so excited to see what y'all are working yeah. on. Yeah. So, okay. So as we're wrapping up, tell us what's new with you. What can we be looking out for that's happening with your artwork right now? So the fabric collection is going to be coming out very soon. Um, it's actually debuting um, in late. Oh gosh, yeah. Or I guess it's really debuting soon, but it's not actually going to be shipping out to stores until October. But if you look at my, you know, social media now, it'll probably be out there. Sneak peeks of it. Um, projects that we're making with it right now to kind of uh, get people excited about working with the fabric once it's shipping to stores near them. Uh, the other big things that are going on right now in my world, and I didn't even really dig into it, but I have been so busy getting my new studio set up and I am just like tickled with how it's coming along. It sounds so goofy, but like this is the first time that I'll be moving into a studio space that's retail facing, that is open to the public where folks can come and see what I'm working on and um, shop my work in person. And I just, I'm so excited to open the doors to folks in the community so they can come and meet me and see what I'm working on. Um, so if you're in San Diego and you live near Normal Heights, my new studio is going to be on Adams Avenue. So do a Google and find me there. Oh, that is the dream. Oh my goodness. I, uh, so I'm in Asheville right now and oh, yeah. They have 165 working artist studios that are open to the public. And I just want to like take a sleeping bag and just live there. It's incredible to be able to walk into these people's studios and see what they're doing, what their creative lifestyle looks like and shop their work and watch them work and chat with them and have a drink with them. Um, Cause they all have breweries inside of their studio. Oh my God. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> So yours is going to be fantastic. So I'm going to make a trip to San Diego just to come. Yes, please get down here. It's And it's such a great neighborhood. I'm like super excited to be a small part of Adams Avenue. There's like incredible breweries. There's like 
restaurants and bars and like all these fun little shops and it's just it's a super vibrant place and I'm I'm just excited to be a small part of it so that's going to be a huge huge thing for me happening in September October November it's going to be open studio season for me awesome oh Aaron thank you so much for sharing with us I hope everyone is leaving really inspired um, with just permission to go out and just make some stuff and try stuff and ask lots of questions um We hope that you are going to be inspired to make some patterns and to go explore some art libraries. We're going to have show notes and links to everything Aaron and everything Aaron talked about at lauren-likes.com slash podcast. Um, But definitely tag us on Instagram and use the how she creates hashtag so that we can see what you are working on. Thank you so much for being here, Aaron. This was so much fun. Thank you. I'm so glad we got the chance to chat today. Yeah. Well, we will see you on Instagram. Have a great day, guys. Thank you so much for listening to How She Creates. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about the show, please visit lauren-likes.com slash podcast and be sure to sign up for the newsletter to know when new episodes are out and to stay up to date with all of the crafty creative happenings around here. If you would take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes, that would be so helpful to let me know what you thought of the show and share with all your friends on Instagram by tagging me at Lauren Likes Blog and using the hashtag HowSheCreates. Until next week, I hope you get curious and go explore something.